It's going to be a celebration. Time for Onnit's semi-annual sale. Starting on April 22nd, Onnit will deliver the deepest discounts until Black Friday on all your favorite products. Nothing is off limits. The number one selling nootropic Alpha Brain. All Marvel and most Star Wars fitness equipment. Even our complete day and night supplement packs Total Human. And to top it off, we will be offering free shipping. Some exclusions apply. 25% off supplements, 18% off fitness and certifications, 20% off foods, 50% off digital downloads, DVDs, and books. That's 55-0, son. 30% off apparel and personal care. In addition to massive price cuts, the more you buy, the more awesomeness you unlock. A 10% off coupon to use anytime. Free shipping and premium free gifts are all available this year. Make this summer the best of your life by stocking up now. The sale starts on April 22nd. So mark your damn calendars. Free gifts and doorbusters are in limited supply, so hashtag get on it. Or you might just miss it. Be the first notified about our semi-annual sale at onit.com slash semi-annual-sale. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Human Optimization Hour podcast. Today's guest is Adam Wheeler. He's an Olympic Greco-Roman bronze medalist, a jiu-jitsu black belt, and a Nogi Masters world champion. We discuss his wrestling career from the time he was a freshman who couldn't do a single fucking push-up to becoming an Olympic bronze medalist and his experience at the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. We also get into his life after wrestling and his career in law enforcement, becoming a SWAT team member to his transition to becoming a firefighter. All this good stuff. He's a good buddy of my friend, Kurt Shrout, who's been a guest on the show, and I learned a lot from him. It was great having him in town. Check it out. Let us know what you think. We got uh, all his socials linked in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. Adam Wheeler's in the house. We had a mutual friend, Kurt Shrout, who who set up this podcast. I've heard so much about you as a wrestler and also a jujitsu practitioner. And, um, you know, Kurt's Kurt's one of my boys. So anytime he he speaks highly of somebody, I want to get him on. Uh, Let's walk through kind of how you grew up out in Lancaster, California, um, how you trained, all that good stuff, and and lead us up to training for the Olympics. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was kind of an anomaly the way that I grew up as far as becoming a wrestler because I I grew up, I played baseball, um, normal kid in California. The weather is great, as you know, and um, I was outside all the time. I... uh, at the time when I was a little kid, I thought, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a pro baseball player. You know, I think every one of my friends thought the same thing. And uh, I just, I didn't get it. You know, I was, I grew up um, just my mom. My dad was out of the picture since I was about three. Mm. Um, we were kind of poor, bouncing around house to house to house. I never really had any, uh, <clears throat> like, security per se, like as far as like, or stability. Um as like a young, young kid, but I did have baseball and that was kind of like my outlet back then. Um, loved baseball was a pretty good athlete. Wasn't ever like the best athlete, but wasn't the worst, you know? And, um, when I was 11 years old, I actually broke my femur bone as a kid. And so you wouldn't do that. I was sliding into home in a baseball game. Shit. Yeah. And you wouldn't think that like as an 11 year old breaking your leg, it would have that big of an impact, but it took me out of being able to do anything active for about six months. I was actually in a full body cast on both legs um, for four to five months. And then I was in another cast. And when I got out of the cast, I went from being one of like the faster, better athlete kids to 
this really chubby, slow kid. My leg had atrophied. Like one of my legs was super skinny. And, you know, at 11 years old, you think, oh, you'll bounce back fast from it. But it took me kind of a while. Mm. And um, I never really stayed as active after that. Like I played baseball, but I was more of like a lazy kid. I didn't run. I didn't do anything. And um, never wrestled when I was a kid until I saw a flyer my freshman year in high school on the wall. And I'm like, I could try wrestling. And as dumb as it sounds, the only thing I ever knew, remembered was Saved by the Bell. You know, A.C. Slater. A.C. Slater. Fuck yeah, in the singlet. Bayside, and I love it. I didn't think he was like <laughs> some superhero cool or anything, but that's the only thing that I knew about high school wrestling was that you could wrestle in high school and um, that A.C. Slater did it. And that was that was it. I had no knowledge about it. And um, it was a rude awakening for me when I went out there as like a 200-pound, super chubby, super out of shape kid for the wrestling team my freshman year with these some of the kids had wrestled before and had a clue where I was like no clue what was going on and um it was a rude awakening but like I started and I remember my first practice the coach was wanted to test our fitness levels and just kind of see where we are and it was the first day and so we had to do a mile run and then we were going to do some push-ups and the basic calisthenic stuff and it's like, okay, a mile run, four laps. All right, I got this. And I start running around the track. And before the first lap, I had to stop and I was out of breath. Like I was that type of- Couldn't even make it a quarter mile? Couldn't make it a quarter mile. I was fat, like couldn't breathe, you know, and stopped. And I walked the rest of the way. And, you know, I don't remember what the coach's reactions were, but, you know, if you would have asked them back then, you know, is this guy going to be an Olympian? Hell no. They were, <laughs> you know, I was like the least likely to, for something like that to happen. Um but uh, I was motivated by different things. But needless to say, that same practice, we had to do push-ups. And I couldn't do a push-up at the time. Like, oh, wow. Legitimately one good push-up where you went down. You know, I remember they used to say, go on your knees and try to do them. And it was pretty sad for a freshman. Like looking back, you know, being a little bit more now into health and fitness and like priding myself on being fit and strong. Um I can't believe that I was to that point where, you know, as a freshman in high school, when you're supposed to have all this energy and be strong and young and active and, uh, what I hope for my kids, you know, I was not that person. How did you, you said you were 200 pounds when you started. I remember talking to you yesterday about how you were really small and kind of a late bloomer. Talk about that as an influence for you being lazy, where you just like, I mean, obviously the, the broken leg, yeah, sidelining you was probably some, one of the reasons you gained weight. But you, you know, talk about that that size difference because we're you're a fucking giant of a man right now. Yeah, and in very good shape. And I, because I, I mean, I was bone skinny, and I would gain two inches in height each year for like three years. Right, and I just fucking shot up like a beanpole. Yeah, and so like it's it's interesting to see like how people grow and when they get to grow spurts and all that. Yeah, so I think probably freshman year I was never a small kid. I was always tall for like my grade level and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, but physically, I feel like I matured late. You know, like all my friends were starting to like hit puberty basically earlier, and I kind of noticed that like I never really got like muscle tone in my body at all till like maybe my senior year in high school, I started to develop it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I start. I was probably five, eight, 200 pounds as a freshman. Um, I, I just remember being like about that tall. Cause I remember like standing next to my mom and being like a little bit taller than my mom, you know? And then I feel like I probably grew a couple inches every year by my senior year. I was six foot three, 
but I was like, um, one of the old wrestling coaches described me as like a, a cub, you know, I was the guy with the big hands and the big paws, but like I was, didn't have any of the muscle tone that like, uh, like I have now, you mm-hmm. know, or, or like an athlete would have. Um, so I think physically I just, I grew tall, but I physically matured probably like when I started like in my early twenties is when I really noticed the change in my body. So I wasn't, I didn't have to shave in boot camp. You know, I went to boot camp. I was a guy that never had to shave. And I don't think I had to shave till I was probably 23, 24 years old. So yeah. just late bloomer in that sense. So how'd you end up doing in high school by your senior year? Did you feel like you had had so, a fairly good skill set in wrestling? Yeah, I felt like I was good my senior year. So what happened was my freshman year, um, I was the worst kid on the team. I went out there and I lost every single match except for towards the end of the season, I won one match. And like I said, I was kind of motivated, motivated differently than other people. Um, I started like, I haven't, I didn't develop this mindset my freshman year, but as, as kind of the, my high school progression went on, um, some things happened to me where I started developing a different mindset and, um, really becoming a wrestler, you know, like wrestling is a tough sport and you have to have this certain mindset to be good at it. And, um, my freshman year after the wrestling season, I remember our assistant coach was telling some of the guys, you should go to this camp. You should go to this wrestling camp. And I walked up to my coach and I was like, what camp should I go to? And he just looked at me and he's like, Adam, I don't think you're ready for a wrestling camp yet. And like it, it, you know, I was a little kid. It kind of like hurt my feelings. I didn't show it probably at the time, but it also gave me some internal drive to like, okay, I'll show you next year. I'm going to come back. I'm going to be the strongest kid on the team. And, you know, like I, I really like that negative attitude from my coach kind of, and it was my assistant coach. Cause I'll, I'll tell you my regular coach, I'll tell you a story in a little bit about him, but, um, it wasn't negative. I think he was probably right. You know, you don't mm. want to send a kid to some camp. Those camps are, are tough. Um, but I didn't see it like that at the time. And, um, after wrestling season that year, and I know we kind of talked about it earlier. Um, I went to the store, I bought some flex magazines, some, some muscular development magazines, men's health, all these magazines. And I started getting into the gym, working out. And, um, I was determined to, to become a better, uh, wrestler for the next year. Um, I was getting, I started doing like the workouts and everything, but there's a couple of things that started slipping with me as far as I was getting stronger and doing what I was supposed to do for wrestling, but I stopped doing my homework, stopped Mm. going to school, um, started hanging out with my friends, going out and partying and smoking and drinking and, you know, just becoming like kind of a knucklehead as a, as a high school kid. And, um, I actually came back my my sophomore year and I was eligible to wrestle and I, and I was, ended up having a better season. I was 15 and 15. And, um, I think it was, you know, I was working my butt off, like in the gym doing what I thought was the best thing to do was the, you know, chest day, back day, the bodybuilding style uh, workouts yep. and, uh, doing some cardio. But, um, after the semester ended in school, I got kicked off the wrestling team my sophomore year. Damn. And that was, uh, it was one of those things I was like working so hard at one aspect for wrestling, but, um, grades and everything slipped and fell. And then I ended up actually dropping out of school my sophomore year in high school. And, um, I remember I went to, uh, like the awards banquet for wrestling for the wrestling team. And I got the most val or not most valuable, most improved wrestler award. 
And I was like, man, I, what I'm doing is actually working, but I'm not going to be at this school next year because like, I, I'm a, I dropped out. Mm. And um, a short time later, I talked to my head coach and uh, it was lucky for me that I did because I talked to my head coach. I walked up to him. I said, hey, coach, um, I really appreciate you coaching me, but I'm not going to be back next year. He's like, you know, why? Why aren't you going to be back? I said, well, my grades slipped. I didn't get any credits for this year and I quit. I quit school. I'm going to try to go to this school called Desert Winds, which is a continuation school. And uh, I thought it was going to be easier, you know, but it was like a continuation school, though, just boring. You're in there with like all the gangbangers and all the fuck ups. Yeah. Yep. You know, like a little chubby white kid like me in there was like, this isn't probably this best spot for me to be, you know? Um, <laughs> but my coach luckily saw that I was struggling and um, really stepped into my life at that time. And he's like, well, let, let me see what I can do. And he went and talked to the school, set up meetings with a psychologist for me, um, did all kinds of stuff to get me back into school so that I could go back to that school my junior year. And um, at the time I was just like, why is he, you know, doing this? I wasn't like the best wrestler on the team or anything, but he was just a guy that, that actually cared, which is, um, I was lucky cause he kind of stepped in as like a father figure. My, I had my dad, um, he wasn't really in the picture of like raising me, but I saw him, you know, a couple times a year and stuff, but mm. he really stepped in and kind of took that father figure role with me. And, um, yeah. So my junior year, then I was like, I owed it to him, but I, you know, I wanted to do better and, um, had a good wrestling season, kept working hard in wrestling. But in addition to my workouts that I was doing on my own, he, I think he knew what I was up to, you know, going out Friday, Saturday, partying with my friends. Um, my mom would try to wake me up for school in the morning, my sophomore year and I'd be like, no mom, she, you know, she couldn't do anything to, forced me. So I think he kind of knew that. So like every Saturday he's like, all right, I'll be here at 5am tomorrow for what? Oh yeah. We're going to go hike the Pacific Crest trail. I don't know if you're familiar with that growing up in California, but it's a trail that runs from Canada to Mexico. And we hiked a different portion of it pretty much every weekend. Um, from that point on, he would force me to do like these workouts. If we weren't hiking, we were going and running stairs and bleachers or going to the gym. And he, uh, really stepped in and like, well, now I can't be out partying on night because I have to wake up at 5 a.m. to go do this hike. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, long story short. So I'm trying to, I'm kind of exaggerating my high school career, but there was like a, a big turning point in there because I think he, you know, a lot of kids might need the same type of thing where he stepped in with my life and taught me discipline, mental toughness, uh, a lot of the things that come along with being a wrestling coach. And um, I, I worked my butt off in, in high school and I thought, that I was going to be a state champion my senior year. Um, I was 37 and 0 initially before I lost my first match. And then I lost to a kid from Reno. I know we were. Yeah. Reno's kind got of some legit wrestling. Kind of talking about some of the Nevada wrestlers. Mm -hmm. And I remember losing to a kid from Reno at a tournament and I was winning the match. And I thought, I, I just remember doing a dumb move and long story short, I lost that match and then um, ended up losing two more, but, I was going into in California. Are you familiar with the masters meet in wrestling? I think so. It, it's a Southern California thing where the top, whatever from the masters meet go to state 
Okay. So it's our last qualification. And uh, well, everybody say hi to Ian. Obviously, <laughs> just walked in on a podcast. <laughs> Fuck up. All right, keep going. So you're at the master's uh, meeting. Yeah, and I so was calm. and I was one of the highest seated um, guys in what they call the CIF out there. I was the number one seed going into that tournament. Okay. But anyway, I go out to my first match, my master's meet. Think I'm gonna. All right, I'm gonna do what I have been doing the whole season, and I ended up losing my first match at the master's meet. And, uh, it's double elimination. Correct? It's, it wasn't at the time because I was in the, the pigtails or something. So if my guy that beat me won, I was back in the tournament, mm. but if he lost, I was done. Okay. So I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm watching this guy wrestle now and he goes out and he loses his next match. Damn. And so my high school wrestling career was over. I didn't even qualify for the state wrestling tournament. And, um, which, like I said, being an Olympian to from a kid that didn't ever qualify for the state tournament, I think I'm kind of an anomaly. Might be the only one that I know that's kind of had that path. And it wasn't the, good all the in way the through. Start. Yeah. yeah, and started late. Started and sucked late. Ass when you started. Yep. Physically, <laughs> physically, mentally, like I was just like a weak. I was a weak person, you know. And I don't think it was any fault of my own. I know we kind of talked about did I fight growing up and stuff and. Yeah, we fought growing up. I lived in a, a rough neighborhood. I had a brother that was one year younger than me who ended up being a pro MMA fighter. He's a jujitsu black belt now. And we fought a lot, but uh, I think that was just kind of the culture of growing up out that, you know, at that time. But when it came that time to uh, physically and mentally pushing myself, I didn't have it in me, you know, to, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I quit before I ran a quarter mile. And that's probably just as much mental weakness as it was actually being tired. Mm. So that's something that I had to develop a lot over my high school years. Yeah, it 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 amazes me how hard wrestling is. Like even when I was fighting professionally, wrestling practice, we would we would practice wrestling on Tuesdays like exclusively and then do some other practices where we'd incorporate it, but Tuesdays were the fucking hardest day by far, you know. Yeah. Like DC's in there coaching us and we'll get into, you know, you guys meeting up in the, in the Olympics, but it's, um, there's nothing like it, you know, even like time-wise, if you were to do five, five minute rounds in fighting, yeah, that's pretty fucking grueling. Yeah. But three, two minute rounds in high school of wrestling. Yeah. That's, that's a fucking whole different ball game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you guys, I, I, I think I have this assumption, but you know, we had a coach in high school, Matt Erdman, who said, we're going to, you know, we might not be the best team, but we're going to be the most conditioned team in the state. And I think every high school coach says that. Yeah. I think that's like the motto across the board. Yeah. I think it's an American way of, and you watch our American wrestlers at the highest level and they're always like the best condition and just the hard nose, you know, the Europeans are a little more tricky and slick and calm where the Americans are just hard nose, just grinders. And we're good because of it, you know? Yeah. So, so you end up um, going to boot camp. You join the Navy. Is that right? So, yeah. Um, I actually joined the Coast Guard. Okay. So I kind of, I got really lucky with my military career. Um, being a good wrestler, like I, like I said, I had a 44, my season was ended up being 44 and three in high school, um, which got me zero people contacting me and zero people wanting to recruit me for colleges and stuff like that. Um be, I mean, I think, you know, they're not going to take someone who's not even a state 
qualifier, right? Mm-hmm. You're not, they're not going to be looking at them. Um, but I was originally going to join the Marine Corps. My neighbor that actually was like my workout partner and one of my best friends growing up, um, we were going to join the Marine Corps together, went and talked to the recruiter at the Marine uh, recruiting station and all that stuff and took my ASVAB test, and uh, which is like the written test you have to take to get in. And um, before I signed any papers, though, another buddy of mine from the wrestling team said, just come with me to the, to the Coast Guard recruiting office. I'm like, Coast Guard? All right. I went in there and they show me the video. The guys are with their hats backwards, jumping out of helicopters, rescue swimmers. And, you know, and I was like, it sold me. And I was like, I'm joining the Coast Guard. I'm not going in the Marines. I'm going to be in the Coast Guard. And uh, so I actually joined the Coast Guard. The recruiter had told me that I could be a rescue swimmer and that I could possibly wrestle for the Navy wrestling team through mm. the Coast Guard, which... You know, it was, I'm glad that it ended up working out, but, um, I, so I joined the coast guard with that intention of kind of potentially being able to wrestle, uh, went through boot camp, and I got to my first duty station and I told my boss, yeah, the recruiter told me I could wrestle for the Navy team. And my boss was like dumbfounded that I even asked that question, you know, being brand new and at first, and he's, uh, I don't think that's true. I said, well, the recruiter said that there, you could try out for the Navy team. And he's like, I don't think that's true. The recruiters say a lot of things that to get you in the door. And, uh, you know, I was a little bit like upset, but at the time I was like, okay, my wrestling career is over. I'm going to focus on being a Coast Guard rescue swimmer. And um, I thought that was it. But luckily that same boss that, you know, I found out later, great guy, wasn't just one of those guys that was just going to, you know, blow you, blow you off or whatever. And, um, he actually looked into it and found out that I could. So I tried out and got onto the Navy wrestling team through him, through, you know, the chain of command basically, but, uh, was able to go to the Navy wrestling team and I did that for the next five years. And so wrestling for the Navy wrestling team, it's, I mean, how does that how does that work? There's a central location where everyone practices together, or is it like each base has its own wrestling team and you're a part of that? Yeah. So there was two teams when I wrestled. There's the all Navy wrestling team, which is like the real team that goes and competes at the Armed Forces Championships. They bring guys to the US Nationals, um, Olympic level team. Like actually in two thousand was my first year. I graduated high school in ninety-nine and was I think I went there January of two thousand. And one of my teammates was a guy named Stephen Mays, who actually made the Olympic team that year. So just the level of competition for the military wrestling teams is really, really high. Um, but it's Olympic style. It's not the collegiate um, program. It's mm-hmm. not NCAA. It's the Olympic style. So a lot of the guys, after they wrestle for the Naval Academy or whatever, will go wrestle for that Navy wrestling team. Um, and then there's a, like a there was a secondary team called uh, SOPAC, which was in San Diego, which was kind of like a feeder program for the all-Navy team, but not all the guys on the SOPAC team got invited to wrestle for the all-Navy tryouts and stuff like that, if that makes sense. Yeah, you got to be good enough. Yeah, so they're picking, and it was kind of a people. feeder program where, luckily for me, so my first year on the Navy wrestling team, I went to the all-Navy camp right away, and... Uh, it was, an, it was like starting over from scratch, going into now I'm wrestling grown, man. I think I told you a couple of the the guys I had to wrestle my first year, like Mike Van Arsdale and 
um, Josh Hall and Dan Hicks and these these guys that are just top level wrestlers where I'm just like a straight out of high school kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily for me, because I went to this camp over here, um, my coach, Rob Herman, who was the Olympic head coach, I fell into like the perfect situation. My first coach out of high school was the Olympic coach. So it was like my level just, you know, continued to improve at like a lot higher speed than I think if you're just going with some normal coaches. But he set it up where I got stationed full time into the SOPAC team, but I would wrestle for him part of the year, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So I essentially I did my Coast Guard job for two years and then the next three years I was a full time wrestler. So it's kind of a, ra- a so roundabout way of saying it. But your yeah. only job then is to wrestle. My only job was I had some other duties like my first year or my first two years. Uh, I actually became a rescue swimmer, but not for a, a helicopter as a boat rescue swimmer, which is just like a an extra thing that you can volunteer to try and take the test and do all the requirements and get, which I thought was really cool. Like when people ask me what I did, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was a rescue swimmer for my boat, you know, and uh, which is basically a glorified lifeguard. But it was cool. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I was in Hawaii, you know. Um, but so I did that. We did search and rescue and law enforcement my first two years. I wrestled only four months out of each of those years. And then my next three years, my job was to wrestle. I was assigned to a aids to navigation team in, California, in uh, San Diego. But I probably did that 5% of the time and I wrestled the other 95%. Damn. So, so all that experience gets you to a whole different level. And then from there, when do you first take a crack at getting on the Olympic team? So it kind of started in 2000. Um, I went to the Navy wrestling team to the camp. And um, like I told you, I had an Olympian on my team with me. And he didn't make the Olympic team yet, but like I could just see, like I thought I was working hard in high school. And I, and I feel like I did work hard for a high school kid. I was doing two a days, you know, one of them was on my own. One of them was practice and going to the gym and lifting. But when I got to this camp and I saw the way that the guys on the team were working and the intensity of how Rob Herman's practices were compared to what I did in high school, it, uh, it really opened my eyes to like, man, this is what it takes to get to that next level. And so, um, I was kind of determined that year. So I met Steve Mays and I tried to keep up with him in workouts and he was a little guy and I was like a 211 or 213 pounder back then. And I would try to do like the sprint workouts with him and all this stuff. And I was just, it was, it was tough, you know, but being in the, involved in that, it's like at that time is when I was like, I want to be an Olympian, you know, even though I was way far behind and I wasn't even in the conversation as far as like, being a top guy in the country, not even close. I wasn't even a top high school wrestler, let alone be like an Olympian mm. um, right out of high school. And uh, But in my in the back of my mind, I was like, I have this program. I have the Olympic coach. Um, I later watched my teammate make the Olympic team. You know, I watched it. Um, I remember checking online, like the updates online. There used to be a website because I got sent back to my command after the Armed Forces Championships. But going back that next year and telling Steve, like, I'm going to beat, there's a guy named Garrett Lowney. I said, Steve, I'm going to beat him when I wrestle him. And I kind of giggled and Steve's like, looked at me and he's like, he's like, when you could tell me that without laughing, then I'll believe you, Mm. you know? And, but in the back of my mind, that's what I wanted. 
You know, like I had already wanted that. I just wasn't confident that I could get there yet. It took a while to kind of build that confidence back up after paying my dues, you know, for another few years. So, yeah. So that seed's planted in 2000. When did you start training? I mean, obviously you're training the whole time for the Olympics with that in mind, but when did you actually get on with the Olympic squad and start training at the Olympic Training Center? So um, it's kind of funny the way that wrestling works. You have to qualify. And um, 2000, I only wrestled the Armed Forces Tournament. My coach was like, you're not going to nationals. You're not ready. Same kind of thing, you know, high school with me about the camp, but kind of similar thing. But um, I went back to my command, did two a days. Like I, from 2000 till the Olympics, I was doing two or three practices a day, always, unless I was deployed. Um, But, which was hardly ever because I was in the Coast Guard. So it wasn't long deployments. (laughs) But uh, anyway, um, I wasn't actually good enough to get on like a U.S. national team until 2005. Um, I wrestled the armed forces tournaments from 2000 through 2004, um, never won an armed forces championship. I got last, last for a couple of years. And then, um, I think I got second three times. Mm. Um, I would always lose, like beat someone good and then lose to, to another one. There was just, it was tough competition, but I just was kind of still progressing, you know, like I would beat a really good guy, but lose to somebody who may not be quite as good, but like my level of consistency wasn't there yet. Um, but in 2003, I went to college with um, a guy named Ivan Ivanov. And we were kind of talking about his company, mm-hmm. the Sioux Place. Yeah. Um, phenomenal coach. He's a Bulgarian guy and he's old school as it gets. And just kind of that coach that like demanded respect. Um, I got with him because I wasn't wrestling with Rob full time. I was wrestling on that kind of the secondary Navy team, which it, there was a great group of guys there. We had some division one wrestlers there and stuff, but it wasn't the same level of like wrestling with Rob full time or wrestling with Yvonne. And so in 2003, I went from being the number 10 ranked guy in the country and, uh, which was barely high enough to get me into this program that Yvonne was in, which was the Olympic education center. I went from being the number 10 guy in the country to being the number two guy, uh, in one year with training with Yvonne full time. And that was, there was some variables there, you know, it wasn't just like me skyrocketing up, but, uh, in 2003, I didn't qualify for the world team trials. Um, 2004, the Olympic trials was my first year I actually qualified and I was with Yvonne at that time and, um, ended up getting fourth at the Olympic trials in 2004. And what happened was the guy who beat me, both the guys that beat me actually that year retired after 2004. And then, so now I was, uh, kind of bumping up to take the spot of the number two guy. And, um, which was good because the following year I ended up placing second at the world team trial. So then I, then I made my first national team and, um, started getting a little bit more attention and some funding to actually do the tournaments that I needed to do and all that kind of stuff. That's good. So talk a bit about Ivan Ivanov, which is a fucking great name. <laughs> he's, uh, <clears throat> if anybody's ever seen a Bulgarian bag, he's the guy that invented that. His company Sue Place is awesome. We just yep. had our buddy Mike Salemi out. So if you follow me on the gram, there's a video of me and my wife busting out Bulgarian spins and doing different yeah. things with it. And uh, he's just a phenomenal dude. But everything, he, 
you know, we were talking about his level of creativity. He's inventing these devices that are working core and grip and a lot of the same muscles you would use in sport and specifically in wrestling. Yeah. So he's, he's like, I, from what I know of him, just from that piece, he's pretty fucking intelligent about how he goes about his practicing. Yeah. No, he was very intense um, and very like purposeful in everything that he did with our practices. I remember going in before practice and he's, he didn't just like say, all right, guys, today we'll just do a warm up and we'll wrestle four matches. You know, like I've been to some practices where that's kind of it. We're going to just take it light today, go in, warm up, we'll do four matches and then we'll do some extra, you know, no, he had a plan and he had a notebook where he would write down pages and pages and pages. And he followed this plan that he created every day with like, I mean, to the T, like, I don't think he would ever skip out on anything. And, um, he was, you know, if we went to a tournament and he saw like, there was one particular guy who would beat me a lot and, uh, he would beat me with the same move every time. So we'd get back to practice and he would, you know, and it wasn't just me, there was 30 other guys on the team, but every single guy, he was like, okay, we're, I want you to work on this today. Cause this is what happened. And he knows exactly how you lost and how you need to improve. And, uh, very, very specific in like what we did in practice to get better. Um, and then along with like every day we did certain fundamental drills that like I had never done before, you know, that just really, uh, I think it's just kind of like his culture of the way he grew up wrestling in Bulgaria. He brought that to us and, you know, it just elevated our whole team. And he was a guy who put several guys on the Olympic team in a very short period of time, just because of how he coaches and who he is. Damn. So oh. it's, it's, it's pretty cool to see how you, you know, like more or less, like you've just fucking had the great luck of the draw of meeting up with these really amazing coaches and then having the drive and learning that too. You know, like people think <clears throat> some people are born with it. You know, like some, when I was yeah. playing Pop Warner football, some kids just wanted to hit more than others. I me being one of them, but you know, like wrestling, there's a lot of people that want to quit. They don't want to stay there or they, they tap out. It's too, too hard. You know, they'll, they'll yeah. go and puke in the corner and then they, that's it for them for the day. And then there's other people that can make that switch where they realize like, oh, this, this is something I can learn. And they are able to push through whatever boundaries or limitations they think they have. And from there on, they're better for it. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, the quitting part of wrestling, I think is huge. And, um, Look, being a dad now to a kid who wrestles, uh, I think a lot of it is also like the pressure that the parents are putting on them, you know, to, mm. to, uh, parents are crazy. I'm just going to say <laughs> yeah. it like, yeah. like I watched some of these kids wrestle and then their parents, instead of like, Hey, good job. You tried hard, you know, or being like, I mean, you can't always like baby them when they lose, but, um, I've seen dads tell their seven-year-old kids like, what the hell were you doing? You weren't even trying, you know better. And you see the seven-year-old kid just crying and looking at his dad and you're like, dude, you're going to, that kid's not going to be wrestling in two years from now because he's going to hate it, you know? Yeah. He's going to hate you. Yeah. Did you see the documentary Trophy Kids that I, Chris Bell did? Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard one to watch. Yeah. It's, it's so tough. fucking tough to watch yeah. that. It's hard to not be, like I noticed myself coaching my son wrestling and I, for the first couple years, because he's nine. Right. And for the first couple of years, I took a huge step back and I let the coaches that are out there coach him and I'm, I'm dad. And, um, 
you know, I think for, for my kid personally, like this year, things have clicked for him. And all of a sudden now he's like, dad, will you come in Mike? Will you come help me? And like, he'll get a partner and be like, dad, come help us. You know? And he wants me there now. Um, and my goal is just to make sure that he's having fun. Cause I don't want him to, like you said, you know, I don't want him to quit, but there's a different type of kid, the kid that's willing to go and work hard and learn how to work hard and stuff. And I just kind of want to guide that path a little bit for my own kids. That's kind of mm-hmm. my goal nowadays. Yeah. And, um, not have them be like that burnt out because they never had fun or, you know, and I've caught myself yelling even at my, even at him, like he struck out one time in baseball and he didn't swing the bat. And I was like, swing the bat. And uh, (laughs) then I, as soon as I came out of my mouth, he looked at me, he's like, stop it. You know, and he's eight years old. And I'm like, okay, I need to step back a little bit. Like, come on. Like I get intense for my kid, but um, I, I'm really cognizant of like, that's my, my new goal in life right now is to be like that, find that balance, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you know. want to push them, but you don't want to push them too exactly. hard. Yeah. And you want to give them a lot of the same skills that we have, you know, like that, yeah. that drive, the no quit, the, yep. the pushing past what we think our limitations are. And certain things that we were talking about this last night where we were watching uh, the fights at my house is there are, there are, there's a lot of fucking you know, there's a big push and you could say politically where it comes from or social justice warriors or any of this shit. But I mean, there is a, a, a pussifying of the American male and of our children. And a lot of these sports teams don't keep track of scores anymore. They mm-hmm. have equal playing time for all the kids, even though some kids suck ass and shouldn't be on the team. Yeah. And and they just, you know, it's it's really it's pay to play. You pay, I paid equal to the other kids. So I get to get in here, you know, and, yeah. and everyone's on the coach's ass and the coach has no fucking backbone, yep. you know? And then on the flip side of that coin, you have practices like martial arts, like jujitsu and like, like wrestling, which is a martial art that really, <clears throat> there's no, somebody wins and somebody loses, right. you know? And that's the beauty of single sports is that like team, team sports are great. They teach you how to play well with others. They teach you how to coach. They teach you how to lead and how to follow, you know, like playing football from a young age. It was, it helped me here at on it. Like it helped me to learn how to be the rookie and it helped me to learn how to be the team captain. Yeah. You know, and I have relationships right now. I've been here for a year and a half where I'm the captain with some people and I'm the rookie learning and listening with others, right. you know, and that, that having, that's really good, but also you need to fucking have the thing where, you know, the spotlight's on. Yeah. It's only you out there. Your coach can yell at you. Your, your teammates can be on the sidelines yelling for you, but it's yeah. just you. Right. Yep. And I think that, that, I think that's one of the key missing ingredients that we need to give to our children now is this, you know, and, and with balance, you know, like not trophy kidding it where you're out there yeah. and like, come on, I told you to take him down. You know, you're just no, stalling, I you know, but yeah. like having that balance and then giving them the opportunity to learn on their own. Yeah. And I think like they have to fail, you know, I think learning to fail, um, not having scores or, you know, your kid gets to play because you're paying the same amount of money. Like, I think that, um, you have to, your kid has to fail sometimes and understand like failing is part of the game. Um, you, you can't expect your kids or think that they're going to win all the time or they're baby them. Oh, you got, you know, they get their butt kicked, but they don't keep score. Like, oh, you guys, you guys tied, you know, or whatever they do. 
Uh, I think failing is part of growing, you know, the character of the kid. Yeah. Jordan Peterson talks about that. We want to place our kids in bubbles, even in college now. Yeah. It's like this safety net where nothing bad can happen to them. And that doesn't prepare anybody for the real world. Yeah. The real world, you can lose. You can get fired from your job. You can can get your ass handed to you. You Yeah. Like shit happens in real life. Yeah. So like you better give like the full gamut of what's possible in our experience here to properly prepare young people for what's ahead of them, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, that's what I like about wrestling is my son is a two sport athlete. I mean, he's nine years old, right? He's wrestling and playing baseball at the time, but baseball, I see he's a better player than a lot of the kids. You know, there's some kids that are better than him. Um, he kind of earns a spot there, but at the same time, there's also kids that are in certain spots because of like their parents or friends with the coach or, um, you know, I'm in a pretty lucky team where I'm at right now, but, uh, I see it where like the parents will come up and why is my son in the outfield? And the coach feels obligated to put the son in the infield the next inning. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're kind of figuring out that, like that, like political game with baseball where in wrestling, it's like, your son's not in the finals because he lost. You yeah. know, there's no yeah. like, oh, well, he's maybe- not starting because he lost wrestle off. Right. You right. Know, like, exactly. He's, he's on fucking junior varsity until he can yeah. win the wrestle off. And there's no politics. You can't put politics there. Okay. Let me take that back. You can put politics into wrestling, but it's like, I like that sport overall. It's a lot less likely that mm-hmm. politics are going to come into play. And whoever's better that day is going to be, you know, the one that's representing the school or whatever in that match. And uh, that's part of. I tell a lot of the parents cause I help coach the team. I'm like a assistant dad coach. I'm not like, you know, anything like official, but that at the age group that they're at right now, it's just character building, you know, win or lose character building. And, um, but it's so much less political in a sport like wrestling than what I see with like baseball, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, no doubt. Well, talk about the Olympics. Okay. Um, so the, my road to the Olympics was very long. So like I said, I, I never won the armed forces championships. Um, there was a guy and I lost to a couple other people, but there was one guy from Oh four. Uh, when I, when those two guys retired, there was one guy ahead of me. His name is Justin Ruiz. And, um, in Oh five, he was a world bronze medalist. So he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. He was a guy that was in the weight class, um, in my weight class that I had to beat. And he was the guy that in most of the big tournaments, it ended up being me and him in the finals mm. of the U S tournaments, at least for the next three or four years. And, um, he beat me every single time I beat him a couple times in like tournaments that were like, didn't really matter. You know, we're going to put you on a team. We're going to put you on a national team or anything. Um, but I went into the Olympic trials, probably two wins and 15 losses against this guy. Um, so we, so we were, (laughs) I was older than you or he's a, I think he's a year older than me, but age, I mean, I was 27 at the time of the Olympics. So age wasn't really a factor anymore. It was him. Like, do you think just the experience level? Like he probably started when he was young. He, he started when he was young. So he was, um, started a little younger than I did. Just grew up. I think Yvonne was actually one of his coaches as a kid. Oh shit. Um, and I know that there was some relationship between them. I don't know exactly to like what extent. Um, 
wrestled for Nebraska a little bit, but he was a Mormon. So he left for a mission at some point. So I don't know if he finished college career okay. or not, but he was also the high school. So I wasn't even a high school state qualifier. He was the high school national champion. So he oh, was the fuck. best wrestler in high school in the whole country. Yeah. Um, and it's funny cause he beat a guy named Mike Big Rig, if I remember correctly. And uh, I actually wrestled Mike Big Rig in freestyle one time and beat him. So I was like, that was like my first stepping stone of like, I just beat Mike Big Rig, who was second in high school nationals, lost to Justin. Justin, like I said, he was one of the best in the world. I mean, he was a bronze medalist in the, in the world championships in 05. The guy who beat him in 2004 was a bronze medalist in the Olympics, uh, Garrett Lowney in mm. 2000. So like my weight class had some, some depth to it. And um, then there's a few other guys that were there that were just as good as I was. I would maybe edge them out kind of like Justin would edge me out. Um, but Justin was a huge, huge favorite to make the Olympic team. And if you watch, uh, there's a video on YouTube, it's an NBC or MSNBC video or something where they interview him and they talk to him and, um, you know, like I was there, but like nobody expected me to win, to make the Olympic team. But, but I did, like, I, I was confident in the way that I was training and I had been working my butt off, you know, for forever. And I could see, cause we train at the same place, you know, like I was, I was very confident going into that tournament that this could be my turn, you know, this could be my time and, um, believed in myself really. And so I had some coaches that told me the same thing that they think that I could win and, you know, made me confident, but I ended up upsetting him in the Olympic trial finals or in the Olympic trials. And, um, the way that the Olympic to qualify for the Olympics, it's really tough. Um, you have to be top 20 in the world, a, to qualify your weight class for the Olympics, like the world championships, every country gets to send one guy, the Olympics, you have to qualify. And it's a huge qualification process. And, uh, we barely qualified in 2008. And, um, at the last tournament, like we, like, uh, Justin actually had to wrestle this Cuban guy. And, uh, like, I think one with seconds left, if I remember, you know, correctly. And, um, but once you make it to the finals of the Olympic trials, so Justin won the national championship. So he got to sit out of the mini tournaments, what they call it to get to the finals. And I had to wrestle through the mini tournament and, um, got to the finals. And then you have to wrestle two out of three matches. And we came down to, um, I won the first match. He won the second match. Third match, you have to win two out of three periods in wrestling at the time. Um, he, I don't, I don't remember who wins the first period, who wins the second, but we go to the third period of the third match at the Olympic trials. And we're one of the last ones wrestling. And, uh, I ended up, uh, lifting him and pushing him out of bounds, which gave me a point. And then I just had to defend on the bottom and, uh, ended up defending him and making the team. And just, it was like a huge upset for me to make the team, but, uh, not to me, like I said, I was confident, mm -hmm. but, um, that was like kind of the huge stepping stool. And that was getting to the Olympics. That was the, the biggest obstacle was getting past one of the best guys in the world. And so, you know, long story short, once I beat him, then my confidence level went like, if I could beat Justin, I could, I could, you're you know, on the world stage at that point. Yeah. You I could fuck do with anybody. I could do given, well. Yeah. yeah. Given his, uh, bronze in the world. Yeah. So when was the first Olympics that you participated in? Um, 
2008. Okay. So I only participated in one. Oh, okay. So yeah, in 2004, like I said, I was fourth at the Olympic trials. Um, I lost the eventual, the guy, one of the guys I lost to was the eventual Olympian that year. And then um, they only do it every four years. And so 2008 was my last, was when I competed in the Olympics, but I knew that after 2008, whether I made the Olympic team or not, that I was done wrestling after that. Like, so that, that mind, like my mind was made up and I think it allowed me to, you know, to make sure I put everything into it. You know, I put all my eggs in that one basket. Like, this is it. This is my chance. I'm going to work my butt off. And I, I was like very meticulous about like everything. Like I wrote down every single thing that I ate. I weighed my food. I counted, like I was counting calories and macros back then before it was like a big thing, you know, cause I had to weigh and, you know, like being a, a bigger guy cutting down to 205, you know, like I had to cut down to 211 and, you know, my natural body weight would be up into 240, you know? So I had to really, really kind of be specific about what I ate and how many calories I ate and how much protein I was eating and what I was eating for energy. And, um, I was meticulous about that. I didn't, go out and party. I didn't touch a sip of alcohol. I didn't, you know, it was just because mentally I wanted to know that like win or lose, I did everything in my power to, to make that team. And, uh, it worked out. Um, it, it was like at that time in my life, everything was working out in my favor because I wanted to be a cop at the time. Um, I applied for the police department in Colorado Springs. I got hired on June 12th. Like they called me in sat me down. Hey, we, we want to hire you. Here's your contract. You know, you had to sign a three-year contract that you won't leave. And, uh, June 12th and then June 15th, I wrestled in the Olympic trials and made the team three days later. And then my Academy date was going to start August 27th of 2008. And I wrestled in the Olympics, August 14th. So yeah, I, so I wrestled, I wrestled, flew home from China and then prepared and started the police Academy like the next week. So and you, you did bronze at the Olympics? I got, yeah, bronze, yeah. Fuck yeah. Explain yeah. what it was like being there. Like with, with uh, was that in Atlanta? No, that it was in Beijing. Okay, Beijing. That's yeah. right, that's right. Um, explain what the Olympic part, like living there, like how the, how, how it is, what what the the feel of that is. Yeah. You know, like are the nerves running high? Are, are people down to earth? Because, you know, like I know Cormier uh, was a guy that you had wrestled with. And anytime I was in a fight camp with DC, one of the cool things about him is that he was just constantly cracking jokes and being yeah. lighthearted. And it yeah. was like, it just, it settled the nerves being yeah. around somebody like that, that wasn't taking everything so serious. But what was your experience like and and the people around you? Uh, my experience was very similar. And I, you know, like I said, DC and I were on the same club. Um, so I saw him a lot and he was always cracking jokes and stuff. I didn't hang out with him a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but my experience of the Olympics was, was just that, you know, like everybody is like for a sport, like wrestling, for example, that's it. That's like the pinnacle of wrestling. Um, you, after the Olympics, you don't go anywhere else. If you win the Olympics, that's it. That's your highest, you know, you're done, right? Like there's nothing better. Um, but for me, I went there with like a specific goal in mind. I had gotten some advice from, I don't know if you know who Rulon Gardner is. Mm-hmm. Um, Never met him, but definitely familiar with him. Yeah. So, you know, he was kind of like, 
you know, kind of stepped in as like a big brother for me when I made the team. He called me on the phone and I, I had trained with Rulon a little bit off and on. He was like in his prime really good when I was just starting. So I was never like a good workout partner for him. Okay. Um, but he, uh, you know, when I started getting better, like in 2003, 2004, I would train with him a little bit. And, uh, you know, he, he ended up getting a bronze in 04. Also, a lot of people don't realize he won the Olympics and then got a bronze also. Um, but he called me up right after I made the Olympic team and he said, Hey, I just want you to know, like when you get there, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be people everywhere. They're going to want, you know, all the teammates are going to want you to go watch the girls volleyball and do all, you know, like (laughs) go out there and have fun. He's like, go there to win your medal. Once you win your medal, then you can go back and mess around. You can go visit China another time. You can, you know, go there with a specific mindset that you want to, uh, that you want to compete and, and win. And, um, so I took that to heart, you know, a guy who had done two Olympics and has two medals and one of our most decorated wrestlers. Um, I took his advice to heart and between him and I was also lucky enough to uh, be roommates with a guy named Brad Veering, who this was his second Olympic team. And he was kind of like our team captain and, uh, me and him stayed very, very, like, I wasn't stressed out the whole time I was there. I actually getting to the competition, I'll get to that in a second, I guess, but, um, I wasn't stressed out. I was relaxed, having a good time, but I stuck to my routine. We got there two weeks before we competed. So I just acclimated. We went to practices. I, st- I was very regimented with my routine. I wasn't going out partying. I wasn't going out drinking beers. I wasn't, I didn't care about, you know, the other sports or the athletes like, Oh, the women's volleyball won a gold medal again. Like I didn't know any of that stuff. You know, I wasn't paying attention to any of it. Mm. I was just kind of in my own world, in my own zone, focusing on my training and, uh, recovery, you know, cause it, the first 10 days or so I was there, we, we still trained hard, but you know, with a, with a purpose. And then my, you know, this few days before the tournament, you know, how it is cutting weight, cutting weight, just trying to recover, staying, you know, in that routine. one track mind for one, sure. One track mind. Yeah. yeah. I, and like I said, I put all my eggs into one basket, you know? And so I wanted to do well. Um, and so I was very, very, focused. Now there is a ton of partying going on at the Olympic village. The number one question I get asked every single time is, uh, do they really hand out condoms? And is it like a big orgy? (laughs) Is that's the number like people aren't like, so how was it like wrestling under that big stage? It was like, that was, that's the number one question I get, you know, is that question. And And the answer is, and the answer is you have to be there to know. (laughs) No, uh, I really don't know. I think there's definitely a lot of that partying going on. Mm-hmm. Um, after probably people's matches, like, you know, it's a four-year cycle, right? So these guys, these sports that are specific Olympic sports have put four years into this one tournament. So when it's done, I'm sure that everybody just lets loose and relaxes and has fun. Um, I was married at the time. And so I just- No giant fuck party for no, you. No, yeah. no, no. But that's all right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that there's, you know, you put the most fit athletes in the world in, you know, thousands of them in one small little area. And they're all like young 20s, maybe mm-hmm. on average. I'm surprised they wear condoms because think of the babies <laughs> they could make together. It's some athletes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I don't know if they wear them. They just maybe get them for free and who knows. But, <laughs> Take them home with souvenirs. Yeah. But uh no, but it was a good time, but I, like I, I was kind of focused 
But when it came time to my matches, uh, I had a tough draw. And the weigh-ins, you you know, you walk over, you step on the scale, you walk over, you pick up like a card essentially that's upside down on a table, has a number on it. You pick it up, you hold it up for all the coaches to see. And then that's where they put you in the bracket. And I drew, my first match was against a world silver medalist. So I, I saw that and I was like, all right, I guess there's no like, there's no warm up match, you know, like some of the tournaments you get, you get seated number one or two and you're, you have some non-seed match kind of guy. And, uh, there's none of that at the Olympics. I had my first match was a silver medalist and I had a lot of pressure on me, but for whatever reason, I don't know why, maybe it was just cause I knew like, Hey, I was here. This was, this was it. This was my final competition. Like I really, and it, it sounds bad, but like I enjoyed competitions, but this time was like the first time where I really like enjoyed it. Like I was, I was like, I had like this happy feeling. Like I wasn't nervous for my matches. I just went out there like I knew in my heart, like, I can't get tired. I was in such good shape. Um, I was confident. I was doing really well in practices. And there was no nerves when I stepped on the mat to wrestle. It was like, let's do it, you know? And it was just, I don't, it's kind of hard to explain that because you think like the biggest tournament of your life, you're going to be the most nervous. But it was kind of the opposite for me where I had accomplished, I guess, my goal and uh and put on all the work yeah you know with, and, with some of the um, best coaches on earth yeah and i'm competing at the biggest show there is obviously i wanted to win so when i lost in the semifinals i was like disappointed but i still had like this like it was a it was a good experience instead of like being nervous the whole time right before your matches mm -hmm. and you're only happy if you win you know like i i enjoyed the whole experience that's awesome so you leave the olympics you realize all right, that was the last shot. And you're already hired with the police department. Yeah. Talk about that. Talk about what made you want to go SWAT team. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because I initially didn't want to be on the SWAT team. So I uh, I joined the, you know, I got hired as a cop. After I won my medal, some people were trying to talk me out of it. Like, wrestle for four more years. You're just starting to get good. You know, I'm 27. And like the average age of our team was probably 30, you know? Okay. So I was on that younger, but middle age for our, our sport, for our team. And, um, I was just like, no way. Like I'm not like, there's no money in wrestling, you know? So you, I made money during the Olympic year, but besides that, it's like, you're constantly looking for like sponsorships and you know, I felt like I was begging for money almost just to survive, to wrestle. Mm. And, um, so that idea was already like, no way I have this job you know, career path lined up. Now I got hired. This is where I'm going next. And, uh, started the police Academy and in my head, like even I think in my recruiting video, they asked like, what's your career goal? And I put homicide detective. I wanted to be a homicide detective. And, um, of course everyone else was like, Oh, you're going to be SWAT, you big athlete, you know? And I'm just like, nah, I mean, it doesn't really interest me, you know? And, it's kind of funny because when I was in the academy, there's another guy, I won't call him out or anything on here, but he came up to me and he was also an athlete. And he's like, oh, those, those SWAT guys, that's like, that's, they just think that they're so hot shit and that that's like the coolest thing they've ever done. And, you know, I'm just like, all right. So it kind of actually like deterred me a little bit from like wanting to be SWAT because I didn't want like that image of like, you know, yeah. If this is the way he views that, yeah. that squad, then you don't want to be a part yeah. of it. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm brand new and you know, I have a college degree and I'm like, ah, 
I'm going to be a detective and I'm going to be like this super smart homicide detective guy. You know, that was <laughs> kind of my, my long-term career path goal at the time. And, um, so I go through the Academy. I'm thinking the Academy is going to be like boot camp all over again. It wasn't, it was super laid back, mostly focused on education, you know, mostly, mostly classroom. There was a small fitness aspect of it. And then a lot of like arrest control techniques and stuff like that, which, um, I think are, I think they could do better with that, mm. you know, and I'm sure like we all see it with the police. Like they, they, in my opinion, they could do better with like how they, uh, train their hands on stuff, but there's also a lot of cops that have to want to do it that don't, you know, cause yeah. there's jujitsu everywhere. If people wanted to go learn some mm-hmm. type of hands-on stuff. Um, and I'm a big advocate of jujitsu for cops and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I, I become a, you know, I get through the Academy talking about SWAT a little bit. Um, after about a year on patrol, one of the, uh, um, commanders says, Hey, we could re- really use you downtown. We want like big, big guys downtown to work downtown at the bars. And, you know, I thought like, okay, man, she's like giving me a compliment. I'm this new cop been on just over a year. And she's asking me to do this specialized detail downtown. And so I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, I'll do it. And I go downtown. <laughs> and what I found out later was that I was, my last name was W. So I think I was like last on the list to get asked to do it. Cause everyone else was like, nope, 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 not working downtown. <laughs> and after working down there for a year, I understand why, you know, like I, it was a long year working downtown, the bar car basically. Mm. But uh, one thing that I got to do when I was there was they said I could go to a specialized unit um, for a couple weeks and go TDY. And so when I was there, I went TDY with the SWAT team. What is TDY? Uh, temporary duty. Okay. So I basically get to go work with them for two weeks and kind of see how it is. And, you know, anytime like in our job, they were pretty good about letting you, like if you wanted to be a detective, they would let you go work with the detective unit and um, for two weeks to see if that's something that you really want to do and if you'd be a good fit. And they sent me TDY to the SWAT team for two weeks. And um, once I got there, it opened my eyes to like, man, this is an awesome job. This is what I want to, this is what I want to eventually accomplish. If I'm going to be a, stay a cop, like I want to be on the SWAT team. Uh, it was just, you know, they get to do all the fun stuff and less, a little bit less paperwork, a lot more fun, um, take home vehicle. I mean, there's a lot of perks to it too, but I didn't realize that there's also some downsides to it too that I realized later. Um, one in particular is being on call 24 mm. seven, meaning you can't leave your city. You know, you can't go out and do some of the stuff Are that you want to do. there at least like a two weeks off thing or? Yeah. So in the beginning of the year with, with us, I think they've added more people to the team since I've left just recently. But when I was on the team, there was 13 of us on the team and you pick your vacations in October for the following year. And so you would get two two week vacations okay. throughout the year. So if you're on vacation, you could be off call. And then we were allowed to have three people off call at a time. And so if, you know, say you two are on vacation and someone's sick, but I want that time off for my cousin's wedding or something, it wasn't happening unless someone was willing to go on call for me who was on vacation. You know, it was just yeah. you had to kind of juggle the books a little bit. Um and you did get some time off, but it was very, like, very rare. I missed a lot of, my kids were a little bit younger. They're still young, but 
they were a little bit younger and they just started doing stuff that I, you know, I missed a few things because we got called out and we, mm. you know, it was just like, I enjoyed the job, but, um, even the job itself for me was getting to the point where I started becoming negative and like, you know, like I would, it's a lot to see, Yeah, you know, it's like, people have this idea of what, it, what that's like. And it's been, been, you're a firefighter now, like that people have an idea of what that's like. Mm-hmm. And I've got plenty of firefighter friends, paramedics, captains, Phoenix, San Jose, San Diego, and there's a lot of PTSD there. There's a lot of horrific shit that you see, you know, and like then that stuff you got to take home with you. So I can only yeah. imagine like working something like SWAT, yeah, how much that would weigh on you. Yeah, I mean it. It definitely is. Uh, you know, there's no turning it off. Basically, like I would be here sitting with you, but I'd have my work phone and my regular phone sitting here, you know, just in case it goes off. And so there's no, like, you don't like get to go turn off that light switch and just relax for, I don't know, 95% of your time. Cause you're on, even if you're not on an active call, you're on call. Mm-hmm. So you have to be ready. You have to always know, Oh, your phone always has to be with you. Cause it could go off at any time. And, um, I think it weighs on you more than you would expect. There's guys that are on the SWAT team for 15 years, you know, and like, that's awesome that they, they could do that. But like, for me, it was just like it being a, a SWAT cop wasn't cool enough to me to take away time from my family. Yeah. You know, like it was a great job. I had, you know, I did it for four years. I had great experiences. I met some of the, my, uh, best friends, I would say guys who I would, you know, I know we kind of talked, you you mentioned that like if something ever bad was going to happen, you wanted Tim Kennedy on Tim, your side. You wanted Tim Kennedy on your side, right? Yeah. You know, because he's a badass. Like, like, and I think the whole world knows he's a badass, right? Well, like I want the guys that were on my team with me, you know, like these mm-hmm. guys that I've trained with my, you know, for four years straight, we've trained everything with, like, that's who I would want, you know? And some of these guys to this day are still, you know, I, I hold them like you know, the highest respect that I can just because of, you know, some of the stuff that we went through. And, uh, you know, like I know that I know where they are training wise and, you know, it's just that type of group of people, I guess. It's a special bond that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. You know, you get it in probably fighting, but to a different level, you know, there are lives aren't necessarily on the lines in fighting. Uh, Yeah. I think they are, but it's, and it's certainly, uh, one of the greatest tests in sports, but yeah. it's not the same as actually putting your life on the line. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I mean, I grew up, you know, on teams my whole life, wrestling teams and baseball teams and everything. And like, I like that type of group setting, I guess. And, you know, SWAT was that type of group setting, but when you do things where you're getting shot at and, you know, it just, it makes you that much tighter, you know, it's kind yeah. of hard to explain, but yeah. So wanting that camaraderie is that why you chose to go into firefighting after you left the SWAT team? So, um, I started like, I started the, the process to become a firefighter actually is like a long process. It's a lot more competitive, more people I think want to be firefighters than they do police. And like the process was a lot harder to get hired, um, from my personal experience at least. And, um, I started like about two and a half, three years into SWAT, I started kind of looking at other alternatives. You know, I wanted to maybe become a detective at the time. I went to work for a robbery unit for a couple of weeks doing another TDY. I realized like 
this is definitely not what I want to do because I thought it was going to be a lot more high pace and it's mostly like going and collecting evidence and going and doing follow-up interviews and trying to find video of what happened two weeks before. It just wasn't like something that I wanted, you know, like it didn't seem like a, a, something that I wanted to do anymore. Um, I knew I wanted to be done being a cop, um, or, uh, on SWAT just based on like the schedule. And, you know, I, I put my time in, they had like a three-year minimum and I, you know, I did a fourth year and, uh, before I got hired with the fire department. Um, but I started applying probably like a year before I left to, uh, the fire department. And, um, I also started looking at other jobs too, outside of the police department. And, um, I come from a family of firefighters. My grandfather's a retired firefighter, his son, my uncle. And then I have two older cousins who are firefighters and one younger cousin who's a firefighter. And I have a really good friend who I do jujitsu with in uh, Colorado, who's a firefighter. And I just start talking to all these guys and they're like, man, like this is the best job. You know, I, I would ask every one of them individually, what, what don't you like about your job? Nothing. You're going to see some bad stuff, but you see that same stuff as a cop. And, um, you know, so it really like planted that seed that like, maybe that's what I want to do. And, uh, I applied and got pretty lucky and got hired cause it's a pretty competitive process to get hired. And I got hired with probably, you know, the most desired department in Colorado, my opinion. And, and, uh, um, it was the best move I made for me, for me and for my family. Um, I'm really enjoying it. So, yeah. That's awesome, brother. Yeah. And, and now you're, we're coming to an end here, but now you're, you're writing a book about all these experiences. Yeah. You have a title? Uh, I don't have an, a, t- a title yet. Okay. So we're kind of in the early, um, by the time this airs, I'll probably have a title. Nice. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I I decided to write a book and um probably about 2 months ago and just kind of share cuz you know I had some cool experiences as a SWAT cop um some stuff that you know could potentially benefit other people or help other people um also just kind of my my story of growing up how I I was never the number one guy like I never won anything I never won anything but I believed in myself and kept going so I kind of want to you know put that out there to somebody cuz if it could change and I think we talked about this and mm-hmm. earlier, but Elliot Marshall said that to me, like, I'm not trying to write the book to make money, but if that book could change one person's life, it's worth it. Like Elliot told me that, and it really made me think about the same thing. So, you know, that kind of like was part of it where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do the same thing. Cause I have a good story that, you know, potentially can impact the life of some, you know, a kid just like I was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to make the commitment, um, you know, I'm not getting it like in advance or some publisher came after me looking for my story or anything like that. I'm doing it on my own with, uh, uh, like a ghostwriter per se. Okay. And, um, you know, so I'm, it was a big commitment for me and my wife to say, Hey, yeah, we'll spend this much money to do the book. Cause we're paying for it all. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's worth it in the end and it could impact some people's lives and be good. So that's kind of my reasoning for doing it. That's awesome, brother. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, you, Kurt got you to change your Instagram from private to public. So people yep. can find you. Where can people find you online? Uh, the Adam Wheeler on Instagram and then big wheels, 96 KG on Twitter. Um, yeah, the books, 
we're looking for May, June. Okay. So if, uh, if people are listening to this and they just follow me on Instagram, then I will, uh, there'll be a lot of updates on there. So perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, brother. Thank you. Awesome. I, I appreciate it. Hell yeah, Adam. Awesome, brother. Thank you guys for listening to the Human Optimization Hour podcast, HOH, with Adam Wheeler. Y'all got questions? Hit us up online, Twitter, Instagram, at Kingsboo for me, and click the show notes to get the links to Adam Wheeler, and we're all good gravy. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, 10% off all supplements and food products at onit.com slash podcast.